1: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 207 of the Pesky Pesky Report presented by Belly Up Sports. My name is Brandon Brewer, and I'll be playing host and moderator for tonight's proceedings. The State of the Union address is an annual message delivered by the President of the United States to a joint session of Congress. It's a pretty big deal. Well, Tonight is a much bigger deal because it is the state of Red Sox nation debate between two titans of Red Sox Twitter. As I introduce the participants, I'd like for both of them to give their opening remarks on the state of Red Sox nation. Ed Hand is the lead social media specialist for SoxProspects.com, a contributor on Rob Bradford's Baseball Isn't Boring podcast, a weekly contributor here on The Pesky Report, an avid Hogdale enthusiast and known Heimblown blown supporter. Ed, welcome to the show. What are your opening remarks?
2: Uh, my opening remarks are uh, go go socks, and I plan on metaphorically punching my Dave-loving friend Brady uh, so hard that the ceiling, uh, he gets stuck in it, like his head gets stuck in the ceiling and he's like kicking, his body's like kicking big, like, ah, ah let me down.
1: Okay, thank you, Ed. Ryan Brady is a father, a husband, a son, a teacher, and an avid Red Sox fan. As a lifelong Sox fan, Mr. Brady has experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. He is a vocal Dave Dombrowski fan and routinely praises dom bombs on social media. Ryan, welcome to the debate.
0: Brandon, thank you so much for the introduction. I'm trying to get unstuck from the ceiling. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, Let's go. And Ed, I'm coming for you. So uh, Brandon, you're going to have your hands full. Really excited.
1: Awesome. Thank you guys both for being here. I'm very excited to get things going. Uh, So with that in mind, we have had several questions that have flooded the the, the, the Twitter handle for the pesky report and each of us individually have received several questions from fans, fellow contributors and all around just people that want to know what's going on with Red Sox nation. With that in mind, uh, we're going to, to, to handle this just like any presidential debate where one of you will get to, to answer a question and then the other will be allowed a, a short amount of time to give your response. Uh, Brady, you won the coin toss, and your name is also alphabetically first, so you get to go first. In your opinion, where where are some of Dave Dombrowski's greatest strengths and greatest weaknesses?
0: Dave's greatest strengths is identifying the player that he wants and getting that player. Not falling short, but getting that player – and then some he's done that countless times throughout his career. Uh, he's a winner, his winning percentage as a, as a baseball executive is through the roof, he's a hall of famer already. And he just keeps, it wouldn't work in Philadelphia prior to him getting there. He gets there all of a sudden little Dave magic dust. And you know, they're, they're right there on the precipice. Uh, his weakness, uh, in my opinion is he's all in every year, right? He always thinks that there's a chance to win, uh, and sometimes going that hard that you hand out contracts that really look pretty awful. Um, Dave's handed out some really bad ones, some really great ones, but man, he finds a guy, he gets him, He gets his man over and over and over again. He's a winner. Okay. Thank you,
1: Mr. Brady. Ed, I would like to ask you the same question, but for Heim Bloom's greatest strengths and greatest weaknesses.
2: I am Bloom's greatest strength is his ability to evaluate pitching talent. Guy literally wrote the manual for how Tampa, uh, you know, how Tampa finds their pitching talent and turns them into just a tank. Even if you haven't heard the guy of the guys every year. And also the flexibility that, um, he's able to have with his rosters being able to plug in players that maybe you wouldn't have thought of, um, to play key roles. You look at somebody like Kyle Schwarber in 2021 who had never played first base in his life and who was also hurt, ended up being a huge contributor down the line. Um, I would say that's his greatest strength. I would say as far as weaknesses go, um, corner cutting. I think that there is a tendency to, you know, just hope enough of these things will work out. Where you, you know, let's just, let's, I, I think examples work best for this. Uh, let's take a look at the Hunter Renfro trade where they brought in Jackie Bradley Jr. And, and it just... It didn't go well. That was that was the co- the corner cutting. So I think that sometimes he sweats the small stuff like that, and it just you, you hope things work out. and They don't, and there's no backup plan if it doesn't. You can say that for Trevor Story this year also, where oh, you know his elbow might be an issue. That's why we're getting him like out on a discount, and you know yeah, the elbow's an issue. He's not going to play this year.
1: <laughs> Very good, uh, Ed. You get the the first crack at this one. What were Heimbloom's greatest moves thus far with the Red Sox?
2: Um, Well, I mean, the the Schwarber one was really good. I think that you can really make a case through the entire offseason, not offseason, the entire trade deadline for uh, 2021. That effectively got them into the playoffs. Nobody was expecting much from Hansel Robles and You know, Big Fudge Davis didn't really contribute a ton, but Robles and Schwarber were pretty huge there. But I think the obvious one that everybody probably comes to mind for is uh, Garrett Whitlock and uh, snatching him from the Yankees with the fourth pick uh, in the Rule 5 draft, turning him into a bullpen machine, then signing him to a, I think it was like a five-year extension right after you know, looks looks pretty good. I also think that Adam Adivino trade where they uh, effectively bought Franklin Germond along with Adam Adivino and he, you know, kind of ran out of gas at the end of the season, but he was a key part of that bullpen, did really well. And you know, Germond is looking like a good relief pitcher now. Still uh, still has some room to grow. But you know, 97 mile an hour fastballs don't grow on trees and he's is on the 40 man roster. So, you know, I consider that a pretty solid
1: move. Very good, thank you. And Brady, what would you say were Dave Dombrowski's greatest moves as a GM for the Boston
0: Red Sox? Uh, first, uh, knowing that he wants Chris sale getting Chris Hill, and not including Raphael Raphael Devers in that trade, uh, he knows talent, young talent, really, really well. He already rebuilt the Florida Marlins years ago after the fire sale and built them back up new contender really quickly. Um <clears throat> So getting Chris Sale without giving up uh, uh, the key guy because Michael Kopech's nice. Uh, Yon Moncada is not turning the player that they that everyone I think in baseball thought he was going to be, and you you get an ace, and that's that's hard to do in baseball. It really is. Uh, he also traded for Steve Pierce, World Series MVP. Uh, that's pretty freaking good. Uh, Eduardo Nunez uh, comes in here, plays a, a key contributor, a, a nice role. Nathan Avaldi, postseason hero. These are not big expenditure moves, right? I mean, Dave Dombrowski shows that when it's time to go out and spend money, he finds the player, he gets it, but it's also some of the subtle moves. Um, he also brought in Alex Cora um, as his as his manager, which in my opinion right now, uh, other than Terry Franconi, he's the best manager in baseball. Um, and and that is, that's a, a, a real credit to uh, – uh, to Dave and uh, the front office for seeing that. Uh, the extension he gave Xander Bogarts was beyond a team-friendly extension. He got uh, an agent in, in Scott Boris that does not at all sign extensions. All his players go to home, not with Xander Bogarts. So I, I'm uber impressed with the amount of right moves, both for younger players, for signing key free agents, and for making subtle trades. It's just really it's just a fantastic job.
1: Very well. Yes, uh, as as you pointed out, he did sign Xander to a very team-friendly extension, whereas I am was not able to do that. Um, Brady, why do you believe, if that's the case, why do you believe Dom Dom, Dave Dombrowski was
0: fired? huh I have theories. Um, I don't know. John Henry's wife is, is, is she's all right. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he did something inappropriate with, with John Henry's wife. I don't know. I mean, I know I don't get it. You look in 2016, he comes in after last place, dampened first, 2017 first, 2018 first. It is the first time in the history of the Boston Red Sox that they've won the AL East three consecutive years. Even in his worst year, they had a winning record. It was only actually a few games shy of Heim's best season ever. So I don't really get it. Uh, if I would think ownership overreacted like they do all the time on a season that was disappointing in the eyes, and they probably knew that Mookie Betts was coming up for free agency, and... They, I don't think they wanted to pay Mookie what what it was going to cost, and Dave Dombrowski probably said, you're an idiot if you don't extend this generational talent, and I think a huge just philosophical move, the Red Sox ownership have done this since they've taken over. They're one way, then they're the other way. Then they're the one. So I think they wanted it to turn into what were a player development machine, um, and they didn't entrust Dave to be that guy, even though He's done it before, earlier in his career with the Florida Marlins. He's shown he can be that guy. So I think philosophical differences, and I think he knew that you don't let Mookie Betts go for Alex Verdugo and two guys who probably will never be key contributors. Ed, your response?
1: Um, Yeah,
2: I mean, he's pretty pretty spot on with that, honestly. I do disagree that Dombrowski could have been the guy to – build up the farm system just because of how trigger happy he is with the trades and also how, and I'm not going to say that Dave did a terrible job drafting or acquiring talent because Tristan Cassis clearly is going to be a decent player. The international team is basically the same through um, Dombrowski's tenure as it is in um, Hyams. Eddie Romero does a really good job there. Um, But you know, he didn't, I mean, and Brady said this earlier, but Dave does have a good eye for talent. Um, you know, he I correctly identified that Devers was the superior talent to Mankata and didn't trade him for um, in the sale trade. He didn't trade Bray Bayo. He didn't trade Zayton Rafaela. So it's not like he's blind to players' talent levels. It's just that he doesn't always know how to pick them out from the draft. Um, when you look at, like, look at some of, some of the first round picks that he made Cameron uh, Cannon just got picked in the, like the minor league portion of the free agency draft uh, of the Rule five draft. Um, I don't even remember who the first round pick was um, other than Cassis that he had. I can't really think of a lot of guys that have done especially well through his free agency, uh, through his uh, draft classes like that. Um, Brandon Walter, who's now on the 40 man, Chris Murphy. Yeah, those are some nice arms, but they weren't top picks either. Walter was taking it around that doesn't even exist anymore. I think he was a 26th round pick. And a lot of that is just credit to the scouts, credit to the farm system. It's less on um, you know, it's less on Dave for those later picks than it is for those early picks. I think that Bloom had a track record in Tampa of being able to turn strong to gold when you look at what a lot of those Tampa teams did, especially. And this is going all the way back to 2008 when um, they got to the World Series with that David Price team. Now, people would argue that they were never able to finish it, that Tampa, you know, hasn't ever won a World Series. Okay, a lot of teams haven't in a long time. Are you telling me you wouldn't want your team to be run like the Guardians right now? They've got a great team, and they haven't won a World Series since Since definitely before Major League came out. When did? When, when did the, they, they were still the Indians then. Yeah. Uh yeah, I think that Dave just wasn't the guy to build from the ground up. And at this point, you know, why would he want to? He's what, like 65 or something? Like let him let him enjoy his golden years building a contender with a team that's already there.
1: That's a good point. Uh typically, whenever we think of the Blue Minati and the Dom Bombers, they are completely different groups of people. But what similarities are shared between Haim and Dave, Ed? Um, I think they both tend to gravitate towards high character
2: players. Um, you're not going to see a, somebody like, um, oh God, why am I blank? Uh, Trevor Bauer or Mike Clevenger or someone like that in Boston. It hasn't happened in a long, long time. I think of, you know, somebody like, uh, Marty, uh, not Marty, uh, Francisco Cordero or, you know, um, Carl Everett, who maybe weren't as much so, but, you know, these two regimes really haven't, uh, haven't taken in too many guys like that. So I think in that regard, they're very similar. And, you know, I think they both have a good eye for talent. It's just in very different ways. I think Dave knows what elite talent is and Haim's better at spotting those diamonds in the rough, but you know, it's still an eye for talent. It's just different types of talent.
0: Okay. Thank you, Brady. Your response. Conviction. Uh, I may not agree with every move that, well, anyone does, but with every, you know, directions per se, maybe of Bloom, but I give him tons of fucking credit. You trade for uh, probably, you know, Jeter Downs, like one of the key contributors in that huge landmark of a trade. You DFA him. Fuck it. It's not working. Out you go. Um, you know, like, what kind of balls that must take to come in and trade a generational player. The key minor leaguer you get, and you're just like, Deuces, it ain't working. That takes a lot of balls to go there and do that. Really does. Like Heim Bloom, uh, Matt Barnes signs into an extension, cuts Matt Barnes and just goes with this. Fuck it. It ain't working with this roster. That really is conviction. And, and I'm going to give that like Heim's got it, and Dave has that in spades. If he sees his guy, he gets his guy uh, in different ways. You know, Heim sees his guy, and maybe he gets his guy, but I have five different versions of guys that I like. Dave gets the guy that he wants. Haim is not afraid with conviction to go like this. It's not working. It's, I'm going to look like shit. I'm going to have egg all over my face, but I don't care. I'm doing what I think is morally right to move this franchise forward. Dave's conviction. I see a guy. I want a guy. I don't fuck around. I get that guy.
1: I like that. I like that a lot. Um, We have our first question that's rolling in from the bird app, and it's from at keep the asp. (laughs) I I don't make up the handles. That's what what was provided to me. That's what came across my desk. I don't know why you're laughing. All right. Brady, you get this one first. Did a raise halo effect oversell Bloom's acumen? It seems like he's made avoidable flubs. He lowballed Xander. He waited so long for extension talks with Rafi, traded Vasquez, but not getting under the luxury tax. Maybe he's good at talent ID or development, but not yet capable of balancing everything. Your thoughts?
0: I concur. <laughs> uh, uh, I Yeah, it's really just, it's really well said. Uh, you know, I mentioned this to Ed before. I think the greatest misstep ownership did was if you're going to bring Hein Bloom in, you you know, Dave the came, but he had Frank Wren with him, right? And then he had Tony LaRusso with him. You know, had another veteran presence. You have a really young head of baseball ops. I like the idea of, you know, like a Sandy Alderson type to be there to kind of help navigate along the way because uh, experience can be really useful especially in a big market so i think the halo effect is real in the sense that the idea of of a tampa bay executive getting to work in a mother company that is going to throw big money like the idea of that is fucking great and we see it working really well with the dodgers the problem is that doesn't mean that like these pieces are real pieces like heim bloom May not work well in Boston just because it worked well with the Dodgers and Andrew Friedman doesn't mean you know Pixie Dust and it's all going to work out like that doesn't mean that Haim has definitely made missteps. There's there's no doubt there's head scratching moves. I think the halo effect is we just assume because of what he did really well in Tampa and for the record it wasn't just him like there's a thinking pot and he didn't bring a whole lot of executives over with him from Tampa here. Like he was meshed with the guys that were already left over from the Dave regime. I don't know really. Like when you hear Pedro and big poppy talking openly about, it seems like a directionless franchise. That's bad. That's that should not be ignored. And like, though that's a boomer way of looking at it. Like (laughs) these are red Sox living legends saying like we're concerned. And I think he's really fucking smart. I think he's made some really dumb moves. And I wish he was given um an, an experienced executive to work alongside with to bounce ideas. I think he really would benefit from that. Ed, your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think that it's I, I think that I don't think anything that you said there is incorrect, Brady, but I think that something that you're ignoring is the difference between Boston and Tampa, where does Tampa have any living legends that even talk about their, their team? No, they don't. Evan Longoria is not over there. He's still playing. Um, it's not like Jose Canseco and Greg Vaughn are being – or Orlando Arojo are being like, yo, guys, did you did you hear this move that ownership is making? We don't like it. No. Blue, pl- Blue Bay, the, the guys in Tampa have plenty of screw-ups there. It's not like they're – it's not like he went 10 for 10 or anything with every single move. It's just that nobody cares, so it's easier – it's much easier to make mistakes there and – you know, have a few hits. I don't think that his track record in Tampa versus Boston is even that different. He's had some hits here. John Schreiber is a Tampa type find. Michael Waka is a Tampa type signing. Hell they even signed him Waka the year before. Like it's, it's the same sort of thing. It's just every misstep Bloom has here is going to get blown out of proportion for better or worse. And that is something that does come with the territory here. Um, The question is, is ownership going to be reactive to that? And if it's a few years and they're not doing well, do they cut the cord? Or do they stick with it for the long haul and say, we know that there's going to be some trial and error with finding these guys? Do we give them... The, um, do we give them the grace they need to fuck around and find out who are the players that fit and who aren't? Um, and that's really the question, because it is very non-Boston-ish to, uh, to fuck around and find out. We, we like to win, and um, there isn't a lot of, of patience after waiting 86 years to do that. So that's going to be the real question. And I, as far as conviction goes, this is just my own personal thought. I hope that ownership shows the same conviction that Dave and Chaim have shown.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. After waiting 86 years and finally getting our beak wet a a few times, this fan base has grown really impatient for the next championship. Um, Ed, you get this one first, and it's actually from one of our Pesky Report contributors, Doink, and she asks about the Xander extension and ultimately failing to re-sign Xander. Uh, I think that kind of flows in with what you were just talking about, but go ahead, Ed.
2: Um, yeah, and I think Brady, you glossed over this a little bit, and I don't know if it's 100% to blame on Dave with this, but Dave did kind of include the opt-out in that Bogarts extension. You can say, like, well, he had to do what he had to do to get it done, but he still put the opt-out in after three years when we all knew Bogarts was going to be in the prime of his career there. Now, you can say they shouldn't have tried to lowball him. At the beginning of um, spring training. But that's what the Red Sox have always done. It's what they always do. I, you know, the common denominator there is John Henry. He lowballed John Lester. He, I mean, how many times did David or did we think David Ortiz was going to end up going somewhere else? He lowballed Jason Veritek, and they just got lucky that Veritek ended up coming back. Dustin Pedroia signed an absolute sweetheart deal that he only signed because he loved it here. Um, which oddly enough ended up being not so great for the team because of the injuries. But all that aside, it's a little bit on Dombrowski. It's a little bit on him for putting that, the, for, for not saying fine, we'll give you 20 million more. No, no opt-out. Um, that being said, I, and this has to do with the corner cutting as well and it does go back to Henry and it also goes back to, bloom in this case what are you doing fucking around if you know you want to sign the guy what are you doing off like starting with an offer that you know he's not going to take if you know he's the guy that you want to be your shortstop and you kind of don't have a backup plan for him not that I don't think Kike Hernandez is perfectly capable of playing shortstop I saw that highlight video he posted yesterday it's going to be fun to watch but come on, Bogarts was your top option, not just for short stuff, but as your middle of the order bat. They're too bad short now with the story injury. It's just kind of mind boggling there. There's, there's a lot of blame to throw around for what happened with Bogarts though. There really, there really is.
1: And it's interesting that you found a way to blame Dombrowski and all that. Brady, your response.
0: Yeah. For the first time I got fired up here. I have been really good at not interjecting, uh, there's no fucking way that Xander signs an extension having the, the devil as his agent unless he has an opt-out in there. So, I mean, that's just silly in my opinion. However, and I do totally agree with Ed that this is ownership's way, right? John Lester, uh, you know, like, oh, we learned from it. Like, no, I didn't. Shit. Like, we always look at like the next – the thing is this one and this is what scares the absolute fuck out of me. When John Lester leaves, they knee jerk signed David Price to go like, let's fix it. Now let's do a whole bunch of one year stopgap shit. Spoiler alert: that doesn't fucking work. You don't build team of chemistry. You don't build morale when everyone's on a one year fucking deal. Flexibility is uh, is cool, but. Your whole like name the teams that really win World Series in the past twenty years that were based upon one year deals. Even the two thousand thirteen Red Sox, Napoli was a three year deal, Victorino three year deal, Dempster two year deal. Like the problem is, it's really cool, but you got to build it around other guys. When we look at Dodgers as the mode method of operation, they'll hand out a fucking seven year deal, whatever the fuck it was to Freddie Freeman. They have no problem. We sign it to Xan- to Trevor Story because he's hurt. Like we all know that then he fucking gets hurt. And we're like, oops. Like, so, I mean, you know, it just, it's definitely ownership. They like to fuck around with their homegrown talent. But the concern for me now is this time we didn't go out and sign you know, uh, well, who, who, all the short stops there was, there was, who, who we had. I can't even think of, it. who's the guy Stephen Steven, that side Steven the, Drew, Julio Lugo. No, David no. I'm Carina thinking was. of this off season, this off season, Uh Trey like, Turner, like, Carlos Correa. Right. We Dansby didn't Swanson. get, we didn't get any of those guys. Nope. Instead, we didn't even go after Gene Segura, cause that would have been fucking cool. Right? Nope. Instead, we're going for fucking flexibility. So let's overpay on one year deals. That's the concern is. That now the ownership fucked up because they told him the low ball. Dave's strength is going no low ball. Get this motherfucker signed. He convinces ownership to spend. I don't think I don't think Heims got that in him yet. Trevor Story came on a discount deal. Ed said it before. That's not good enough.
2: I would count. Oh sorry.
0: Go go ahead. You can rebuttal. I okay. would say
2: that just because somebody gets hurt early in the deal doesn't mean that they're it's it's a completely lost contract. And you can turn to that 2013 team, John Lackey. Um, you know, if that's the pitching equivalent of Trevor Story, a guy that they that they paid a lot for, immediately got hurt and you know, he's already a step ahead of him because you remember John Lackey's first year with the Red Sox? Mm-hmm. It was an absolute nightmare. He was the worst pitcher in the league that year, and then he missed the entire next season. Nobody thought Lackey was gonna do anything so at least story was you know at least a positive player when he was on the field last year at least i know i said before he's not playing this year he might be able to uh he might be able to play a little bit this year um, hopefully um you know we just got a comment up here from my boy jake o'donnell that uh dave didn't do a good job uh convincing ownership to shell out for mookie i think that that i and this is just a theory but do you remember that whole thing that came out with um like, what was it that he said they'd burn my house down? Or it was, it was something to that extent. I think ultimately that's what led to Dave being fired. I think that it was that he took a stand to ownership. And that was sort of it. Just from what I've heard, that it was him and Frank Grant and Tony LaRusa kind of hold up versus the entire organization. I think that it was almost a case of him playing by his own rules a little too much there and not. Because at the end of the day, even if you think something's a stupid move, you're not the one paying the bills. You're not the one that's throwing the money out. You do kind of have to listen to ownership, and that's what I think uh, What I think costs him there. Um, the other thing I want to say really quickly, and it's it, this is interesting, and I don't necessarily think it's a good comparison to um, 2013, but you talk about um, a core of, of players. And what I see is a core of players that, is up and coming right now. And I think that that adds to the insecurity that we have because is Tristan Cassis going to be able to cut it? Is Bray Bayo going to be able to cut it? There are some young guys below that. Don Rafaela. Um, further down, you have your uh, Miguel Blaze and Marcelo Myers. I see it as them trying to build a core through those guys while competing and kind of throwing in these veterans to kind of help with them um, the guys like Cassis to kind of nurture them into those roles. And then maybe as they're successful, we see those extensions come out like we did with, uh, with Whitlock. And, you know, that's what the team ends up being built around. Um, God, 2013 was kind of wild though. Wasn't it like that? All clicking was, was, was pretty crazy. (laughs)
0: Hey, Brandon, do you mind if I just, the, the question that came in there uh, a little bit, I agree with, with, you know, that Dave didn't do a good job convincing ownership, but that kind of piggies back on, I think my thought was ownership has repeatedly been the constant for the Red Sox since 2003. They haven't paid, look at Nomar Garship, they haven't paid anyone to stay long-term that's homegrown. They fucked around with David Ortiz every fucking year. It was like a, an emotional roller coaster for Red Sox fans. So that actually, I can't put that on anyone because that's who they are. In fact, what I'm going to put on this one is Heim openly said Xander is our number one offseason target. Not once, but twice he doubled down on it. That's my thing. I never heard Dave publicly say anything like, what the fuck? How are we not signing Mookie Betts? I think it's pretty obvious to say he was saying we have one of the top 10 players in baseball. If you want to cut somewhere else, do it. Not with this fucking guy. And you know what? He's right. Like Mookie's really fucking good and he should have been here long-term. That should have been where they changed the narrative.
1: Yeah, it it is unfortunate that Hyam was the guy that was uh, ultimately responsible for trading Mookie, but it's not all his fault. A lot of it does have to fall on ownership. Um, Here's an interesting question that came in from the bird app and it's from user at south. And I thought this one was just a whimsical and funny question, so I wanted to include it. Which current Red Sox player do you think has the lowest credit score? Brady, you get it first this time.
0: Uh, wow, that's uh, all right. That's a fun one. Um, last year, I would have given it to uh, Matt Strom. Uh, <laughs> right, I just I'm going to go ahead and say that one. I mean, no no disrespect, um, but uh, yeah. Uh this year, uh lowest credit score. Um this hurts to say it, but I think Alex Verdugo looks like a guy that any penny that comes in his pocket is being fucking spent over and over and over and over again. And I love Verdugo, but uh I don't think he's got a whole lot to show for what he's making. That's my just my guess.
1: My man has a lot of shoes to show what he's, what right? he's made. Ed, Uh, You know, there's only one man on the Red Sox that uh, got
2: uh, $200 or whatever it was to switch window seats with Bobby Dalbeck and then use that money to buy a samurai sword. And that man is Tanner Houck. And, you know, just the vibes Tanner Houck gives off, I get the feeling that samurai sword isn't the only money that he's just, like, thrown at weapons. I get the feeling that he might have a tank he might have a bazooka that he keeps just for fun in his backyard, you know, <laughs> definitely throwing stars. I wouldn't be surprised if he's doing his like, uh, like his pitching exercises, just tossing throwing stars in his backyard. I think he makes a lot of confusing impulse purchases. Does not seem like the kind of guy who's, who's saving his money. So I've, uh, I go Tanner Houck.
1: I can just imagine Tanner Houck driving into spring training at Fort Myers and an Abrams tank, <laughs> just ready to roll. Um, <laughs> Staying on the bird app for a few moments. We got one from user gyronix96. I'm guessing that's how it's pronounced. I don't know. Do, do you think Heim Bloom and the front office are going to start locking up young talent from our minor league system in a similar fashion to the Atlanta Braves? If so, who do you think are the key pieces to that puzzle? And you get to go first.
2: Uh, I think that that's the direction baseball's going in right now. We've already seen them do it with Garrett Whitlock. So I, I think that that's definitely something that's going to happen. Um I mean, Bayo and Cassis seem like the obvious two right now. I also could see conceivably see Tanner Houck signing a long-term extension. And that would, act- that would be beneficial for both teams, for both parties involved there because with the Red Sox, they lock him up for his prime years. For Houck, he's had a bit of an injury history. So this gives him some security. He might not get top dollar, but he'll get, He'll get enough for those prime years, and then if he's good throughout it, he'll be able to make a lot more money after. Um, So I think that those are the guys off the top of my head. Um, I mean, I think that we're going to have to see them actually in the majors first. I wouldn't be surprised to see them also. um, If he takes a step forward this year, I could see Verdugo getting an extension. Um, Pavetta, I'm not not as confident on, but Verdugo seems like someone you can build around. I don't know if Pavetta, Mm. Pavetta is that, and I like him. But, you know, he's been pretty consistently like a 4.50 ERA in Exeter type. So, um, yeah, that's uh, – I, I think it's likely that we start seeing that over the next couple of years.
0: Brady? I hope so, but I don't think so. This ownership group has made the same mistake for two decades now. Um, so, I mean, that'd be cool. I just don't think it's in their DNA to, to let a kid come up and play – 100 games and be like let's sign to an 8 year deal. Like I just I don't see it. Garrett Whitlock, they bought out a year or two of free agency. Um that I could see something like that, but like the equivalent of the Wander Franco from uh you know the Tampa, that was a huge long-term extension. I wish they would um especially for me with, with Cassis, a first baseman, a big, burly first baseman. I feel much safer than a starting pitcher. Um, you know, because I don't. I'd rather not keep them past thirty. You know what I mean? Um, but I just don't think so. I, I wish they would. I really, really do. But I don't think that's who ownership is. And they've been the same overreaction, whatever. <laughs> don't pay their homegrown. This is who they are. I'm sure Hein Bloom will be fired in in in, in a re, in a year if if not less, because this is what they do. Okay.
1: Thank you both for, for your answers in that section. We're going to move into a rapid fire question portion of the debate here. Uh you will you will each get asked a question and be able to respond in 10 seconds or less. Uh Ed, since since Brady went first in the first round, you get to go first in this round. And the question is, for those that love Haim and are completely loyal, aka the blue Minati, why do they love him? Is it the moves he's made so far or the potential for the future?
2: Potential for the future and that iron chin.
1: The iron chin. Yeah, everybody does love boy chin wonder. Um, Brady, how can Heim Bloom lose his
0: job? I think coming in last place again this year and having a $230 million payroll. Ed, how can Bloom keep his job?
2: Making the playoffs, team gets better, uh, and the uh, farm system improves, continues to grow.
1: Making the playoffs—that—that that is uh, uh, the goal. Obviously, is to to win the World Series. If they make the playoffs, that's that's at least a step in the right direction. Brady, how has Brazier avoided being DFA?
0: Because Alex Cora trusts the fuck out of him, and everyone, including ownership, trusts Alex Cora.
1: Yeah, I guess something's going on there, whether he has dirt on them or, or something. I don't know. Ed, what is your favorite offseason move so far?
2: Um, for the Red Sox, Devers extension.
1: <laughs> I think that's that's pretty obvious. <laughs> uh new guys, Yoshida's gonna be fun. Yoshida, yeah, I agree. I should have I should have paraphrased or phrased that to say you can't say devers, but yeah. Um Brady, least favorite off season move. Can't say Xander.
0: No, can I say my favorite? Yeah,
1: why sure.
0: is- We got a fucking closer, boys. We got Kenley fucking Jansen. We blew twenty plus games last year, and I don't care. Oh, he blew seven or eight from the fucking Braves, but he had over forty saves. We have a legit closer. Thank you, Hein Bloom. That was awesome. Uh, so that's uh, that's that's great. Uh, and the worst move of the off season, and I can't say Xander. Uh, I just think is the over reliance on one year deals, like. There's a reason that they're only one-year deals. They're health concerns. They're bounce-back years. It's just not a good way of doing business. you could got to merge the two, but it's too much. It's an over-reliance on hoping things go right. Okay. Ed, do you have a least favorite?
2: Um, I mean, I have a least favorite uh, move, but I would also uh, counter that there haven't been that many one-year deals. I mean, Duvall has been a one-year deal. Julie Rodriguez has an option with his. But that's kind of it as far as the one-year deals, isn't it? Kluber has one. Um but there's an option with Kluber's that it's two-year deals for Martin and uh, Jamson. There's a five-year deal for Yoshida. Um, yeah, I don't think it's that many one-year deals. But um, least favorite move, I guess you can't do a non-move for that. So my least favorite move is probably Jolie Rodriguez over some of the
1: other lefties. Okay, let's try to keep these responses to 10 seconds or less, guys. You guys are, uh, are, are chatterboxes all of a sudden. Ed, it's a presidential who,
2: debate. We don't care about the rules.
1: Yeah, well. Oh. I like that. Do it again. He just Brandon. hit me. Ow. <laughs> that is he just hit both of us. Yeah. Slap the crap right out of both of you. Ed, <laughs> who is someone who's going to surprise people this year?
2: Um Brandon Walter. AAA pitcher. He's gonna end up being a key piece of the team by the end of the season.
1: I like it. Brady. Tanner
0: How's Tanner is is gonna fucking explode and be the uh, the elite setup and baseball guy. And a a year after that, they'll trade Kenley Jansen and he'll be like one of the best closers.
1: Okay. Like I said, 10 seconds. Is that 10 seconds? (laughs) Apparently so. Our official uh timekeeper muted him. So yes, it was. Uh Brady, for those that hate Dave. What is the perceived reason? Is it justified?
0: They think that he trades away all the talent in the world and his contracts are awful and leaves in a in a bad spot. Um, Yeah, I mean, there, it's a little justified, but not.
2: <laughs> I want to hear what he has he to say. I'm not going until Brady finishes his thought.
0: Fine. I think the criticisms are fair, right? 100% criticisms are fair. But he's not, he should not be viewed as a villain. They he didn't leave the team in shambles. Um, he, he had a job, he did his job, and he, I don't think fans should, should hate him at all. He, he did what he was sought out to do. All right, Ed, why aren't we
1: told what Heim's plan is or a timeline of when it should come to fruition? I think
2: the timeline we just you know, it's it's kind of impossible to guess what's going to work and what isn't. They have a it takes a amount amount of time for prospects to develop. It's not linear, and that's a big part of the plan. I think that they've tried to tell us what the plan is. I just don't think they're very good at articulating it. I think that team badly, badly
1: needs a new PR. Yeah, I I agree. I think it should be one of those things where they say by this time we should be a contender, but. Nothing has come out in, in uh, any sort of fashion like that.
0: Brandon, Brady, I think you should do it for the record. I mean, you're you're controlling this really well. Like if you just said, listen, shut up, Red Sox Nation. I'm going to sit you down and explain what the plan is. I think that'd be good. The, the problem with that, Brady, is
1: I don't have a mute button for Red Sox Nation. I do. <laughs> it's on Twitter, but they're going to keep talking in their own little echo chambers, and it's not going to matter. I can at least control it on here and it it mutes it for everyone to hear. So if if we brought all of Red Sox nation onto this podcast, I can mute them all and it would be a great day. Brady, what are your closing remarks?
0: My closing remarks are uh, Dave Dombrowski should be revered for his time in Boston. He accomplished more than like in three out of four years, it was just top level stuff. He identified talent left and right. Um, you know, made sure that the guy that he wanted is the guy that, 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 that he, that he saw, he avoided making, making trades are awful, found the guys off the scrap heap. Ryan Brazier was a pickup, I think from Korea or Taiwan that paid, that played, uh, an integral role in the 2018, never the most successful fran- franchise ever, excuse me in 2018 was the most they've ever had. He spearheaded that if he got ousted because he wanted to extend Mookie bets at all costs, it, he was probably just fucking right. Um, <laughs> you know, like I, I would have loved to have Bloom come in to be our general manager um, and join Dave Dombrowski and the two together probably could have like made the mothership. They would have had Theo Epstein. That, that's, that's what it is. And I think, you know, the problem is Dave, it just feels like you should be able to appreciate both. You know what I mean? Like, Dave came in and was, was, was a slam dunk success, but the team was not left in disarray. It just wasn't. And, and 2021, his fingerprints are all over that team, just like Ben Sharrington's are all, all over 2018. Dave did a fucking great job, knew who not to trade. And I'm just really hopeful that um, that there is an end in sight for this one, two-year deal and that the, high, the we can become L.A. East, right, and not Tampa North because I think if that happens, everyone's going to be really fucking happy. But I do think Heim is running out of time because you can't have a 230 million dollar payroll and fight for fourth place, right? That, that is unexpected. I could probably build a team that would probably compete for a, team, a spot, especially with an expanded uh postseason. Here he's got to come in, got to have a good year. I like a lot of the moves. I trust in I just want to see it moving forward with a little more conviction towards major league contracts that are not just one- and two-year deals.
1: Ed, what is your uh, closing statement?
2: Yeah, so starting with Dombrowski, um, I don't know if people will be surprised to hear this or not. I'm a big Dombrowski fan. I think he did an excellent job in Boston. I think that he did exactly what he came here for. I think that, as I said before, his eye for talent is much better than people give him credit for. I also think that the farm system was pretty depleted with a lot of the top guys being. And like, we're seeing them come up now, but. That was 2019. It's been like three, four years for them to develop. And, you know, the like. I don't know if people remember this or not, but the big free agency signing in 2019 was like Colton Brewer for the bull. Like they were, they were shot on cash. They just, they didn't have enough cash to pay any of these guys. Like you think you can re-sign Mookie when you can't even sign a reliever to like uh, back up your, your, your championship winning team that's already the highest paid team in baseball? It wasn't... Dave did exactly what he was supposed to do and ownership let him do it and they didn't let him try and fix it. And I think, if retrospectively, I think that they should have let... They should have let Dave be the person to take care of Mookie one way or the other and let the chips fall where they may after that. Um, because I also think that it was kind of unfair to have Bloom's first move when he comes in here be to trade one of the most <laughs> talented players to ever come here like he's never going to be popular. I never forgave Theo Epstein for trading Nomer Garcia para and he won two fucking World Series like you know like 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 Bloom's Bloom screwed like as far as public um public, um, reception or whatever the term is, goes public perception. Sorry, goes like he's totally fucked. He's there are some people like some kids that were like thirteen when Mookie got trained, They're never forgiving him, and it's just worse now with Ben and Teddy and you know with Xander now. Like this is all the fan favorites leaving, so there's already that personal hatred there for him. That like rationally, like he can do the best job with the team, and it's not going to matter for those people. Um, with all that being said. I would really, really like people to give this team a chance because when you look at what they've done compared to last season and even the 2021 team, the depth is so much better. They actually are going to be able to have guys contribute from the farm system. It's not an overpowering team, but it's a team that could be the sum of its parts. And I hate saying this. I was talking about this earlier today. It's a very Tampa Bay-like team. And people might not like this in Boston, but you know what they do like in Boston? Playoff appearances and being underdogs. And that's what Tampa is year in and year out. And these guys are hungry. These guys are, you know, there's a nice experienced core in there with Duvall, with um, the entire the entirety of the bullpen. I mean, that's an experienced core. Now, that goes from being a weakness to being a real strength that I think is going to bolster the bullpen. We haven't seen Alex Cora with that many weapons before. Even in 2018, he didn't have that many weapons out of his bullpen. Um, and the young talent is just – it's. If, you follow, if you're in the weeds with the minor league system like I am right now, the, I started with Sox prospects in 2019. It is night and day right now. I remember Junior Downs being the number two prospect in the system and thinking <laughs> that was a really big deal. The number two is Tristan fucking Cassis right now. The number three people are, are, are making early comparisons to like a Ronald Acuna ceiling. Like that's, it's pr- I'm just saying, it's, it's pretty exciting and it's – you know, some of that is through development. Some of that's through letting them fuck around and find out. And some of that is through Bloom having a good eye for these young talented players, especially through the draft. And um, you know, I like I said before, um, I really do hope ownership just just lets it play out. I agree with Brady that they are what they are, and it's you know they've been they've been who they are since 2000 or whatever they bought the team. They've been very successful, so they're probably not going to change. But let the experiment run its course. You know, don't quit halfway through just because you
1: have some hiccups. Okay. Thank you very much, both of you. Uh, before we wrap it up, um, we did have a question that came in that's off topic for Red Sox Nation, but I thought that it might be an interesting thing to add into the, the tail end of this. And it comes from, uh, from Bill on YouTube. Speaking of conviction... Where do you think Trevor Bauer will wind up? Who wants to take that one first? But <laughs> Me?
2: I mean, I don't think he's going to end up in jail or anything. I just don't think it's going to be uh, Major League Baseball. Um, if he does, it'll be like the Oakland Days or a team that, you know, doesn't really – give a shit about um the perception because they're paying him $700,000 and they'll stand to make more money pulling in fans that way but um
1: yeah.
2: yeah I uh I just I just he was a toxic waste dump before all of this before the suspension happened like there, were, it, it wasn't like this was the first time it was like literally it's just thing after thing after thing so yeah I I, I just
1: can't see it happening Okay, Brady, you got an opinion?
0: Yeah, I kind of think that – I mean, it's got to happen before spring training, right? Like, that, Like I don't see it happening later. Um, I, I kind of think – I kind of think no, like he's not. But then again, we look at NFL. There have been guys doing done some really horrendous things, and – they just care about talent and wins. So, I guess if gun to my head, I'm going to go ahead and say, "Yep." So, like uh, uh, the Cincinnati Reds may say, hey, "Let's do a reunion," and then they can flip him if he if he's good. Because after a while, people start talking about that stuff, and they just worry about on. Unf- and I'm not saying that's right, but like someone's going to see, I can flip him right, and I can get something for him. And I just think that's w- what's probably going to happen. He's going to go to an obscure team, and that team's going to flip him and. He'll probably be a pretty good pitcher, and that's what I I don't want it, but I think that's what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of kind of agree that he might end up somewhere just on a whim, and I I do know that the Kansas City Royals just signed a as Chapman, so apparently they don't have a problem with with douchebag pitchers. So maybe that's a landing spot for him and Clevenger. Who knows? Um, Brady, you wanted to ask a question before we logged off and, uh, we've been building up to it and anxiously awaiting this moment. So go ahead. The floor is yours.
0: So I wanted to ask you both. Your opinion is, um, I think one of the major reasons that Bloom was brought in was for fleecing other teams on trades and Chris Archer and Tampa being, you know, the, the biggest, you know, selling one. Are you surprised that, um, Now that we've built up a lot of depth in the minor league system, we haven't really seen any trades really of super value more than like a rental of Schwarber, which was a great one, but like, like it doesn't feel like the big trade has come and this is now over a while. So that's like part a is, are you surprised? And B uh, crystal ball in it. uh, This time next year is Hein still with the Red Sox.
2: You go first with this, Brandon. You haven't gotten to talk yet, and
1: I got a lot to say. I've talked plenty. Um ugh. Let's see. Answering the, the crystal ball question first. Is Hein Bloom going to be in this role with the Boston Red Sox at this time next year? I think it depends on how this season goes.
0: Right. So um, you gotta crystal ball of that too. You know what I mean? I think if
1: the Red Sox are competitive meaning if coming down the stretch in august september Mm -hmm. they're at least in the hunt for a wild card i think he keeps his job Mm -hmm. um if if they win 60 games and they're competing for first place in the the draft probably not going to have a job next next uh next year um
0: what was the first part of the question? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he got a big, you know, I, I think he was brought in because of, you know, remember the Chris Archer trade, they brought in Tyler Glass. Now, like okay. there was so much value. There hasn't been that lopsided trade yet, nor has there been a big massive trade where they're using depth of their farm system. So I guess what I'm saying is the fact that there hasn't been a massive trade at all. Does that surprise you? Yes and no. I I did think whenever Bloom
1: accepted the position and was brought in to be the president of baseball operations for the boston red sox i thought man this is a guy that knows how to wheel and deal and he's going to come in there with blank checks all around and he's going to have uh he's going to be able to get the talent that he's able to assess from his skillful assessing days down in tampa with the budget that dombrowski is leaving behind And he's going to be able to make it all happen and we're going to have a dynasty. That was my first initial thoughts and opinions. He really hasn't done that on the trade market. Yes. um, He's gotten a, a few deals here and there that are like, okay, that's not a bad deal. This most recent one where he brought in Mondesi who has a super high ceiling if he can stay healthy and all he really gave up was Josh Taylor. That's a pretty good deal in my opinion. Um, but he hasn't really fleeced anyone for a big deal. However, he has signed a couple pretty good free agent acquisitions. Trevor Story was huge. If you go back and look at, at Twitter, at all of the reports of the time whenever he signed Trevor Story, you would have thought World Series back on because of how big that deal was. Look at how much publicity the Pesky Report gave him we we put up graphics we had a whole episode dedicated to Trevor's story just signed here we called it the never-ending trevor story or something, <laughs> something goofball like that because that's what we do
2: until ucl surgery comes up that then, then the story ends for a bit then you take a break for the sequel and
1: eh, you know what they had to they had to pause a little bit in between making movies right that's what that's all we're doing we're pausing in between seasons he he signed uh, Yoshida to a, a five year contract. That's a pretty big deal for a guy that's never actually played Major League Baseball. Uh, he has made a bit of a splash. It's just not been on the trade market like a lot of us thought. Ed, go ahead. Um, am I
2: surprised? A little. Um, and this comes more with knowing, like, the depth of the farm system. They have, like, four shortstops right now that would be starting shortstops in most organizations, but Marcelo Myers there. So it's like they have Meyer and they also have Brian Bayo and um, Mikey Romero and Edson Pogliano. These are all pretty legit prospects, so it ends up being sort of a long jam, a long jam. So so it surprises me a little bit that they haven't moved those guys, but they're so low in the system too, the teams aren't necessarily going to trade for them. So you kind of, um, you kind of end up with almost selling them too low because if they do what they've did in high A and double A or triple A, you're going to be able to get a lot more for them. They go from being good prospects to being top 100 prospects in baseball. Um, So I think that they really are playing the long game there. I think that next year, is where you start seeing those trades happen. Um, as far as fleecing goes,
0: uh,
2: I I'm surprised anybody would trade with Bloom again after that Archer trade. Just because that was like that literally destroyed the Pirates organization for like the next five years. That took that took the back away. So I think people are probably a little more cautious with what they deal with. And now, and you're you're seeing that more in baseball now in general you're seeing that the, the, the pirates
1: have gone so far back that andrew mccutcheon is now a pirate again so that's oh, how far I back that. they've gone all right <laughs> yeah i mean i love mccutcheon going
2: back there's nothing like a homecoming um but i think that, that managers are not managers but like you know executives are a lot more careful with their prospects now so you're just not going to be seeing that quite as much um i do want to say something that's um that's a little unrelated with this also um and, you know, we had a lot of uh, joking, like, all leading up to this about Brady, like, me destroying Brady and, like, all of that shit. And I don't think people realize this, but Brady and I are, like, pretty tight outside of the show. Like, we, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, we, we talk a lot just, like, individually. I drove down to um, New York to catch a game with him last year hoping to do that. A few more times um and it is kind of funny for me because prior to um even starting this podcast i didn't really talk to anybody about baseball beyond like my dad and the people that i do at with um and brady definitely has a different perspective for for me i think that he's i don't even want to say like a boomer take or anything like that it's more just that you have like you know you You value things differently than I do, but that's how people are in, like, real baseball, too. Like, different organizations value different things, and you're going to have different people that look for different things. And it doesn't mean that they know less or they know more than other people. It just means that they have a different perspective. And I think I've probably learned more um, since being on Pesky Report from Brady uh, than i think anybody else um so i really i really do hope you know like how much i value your opinion and how much i appreciate getting to um have access to that perspective
0: dude thanks man crazy same here uh yeah we joke around you know back and forth to have a little fun um but uh ed as an awesome dude uh real good friend and uh talking baseball is you know, if you can't talk and have different viewpoints without getting angry at each other, like, like that's not what we do. Brandon, you did an awesome job. We talked about throwing the gloves off. But really just just a tennis match of smacking ideas back and forth. And because the cool thing is, it's just friends talking baseball. We all want the same thing. And how we get there might be a little bit different, you know, or, or how we view it a little bit. But uh, I think we can all agree at one simple thing. Let's just let the Red Sox fucking win. Yeah, man. Like – Let's just have – let's just come out and take two out of three more often than not and win series and everything will be fine then. And I think that – uh I think there's a good team on the field that's capable of surprising people and I want this to work. Like I am not an anti-bloom whatever. Uh Ed has brought me over to, to see the light. Um, Lenny DiNardo made me accept that Garrett Whitlock is a starting pitcher. Uh, so I do accept it. Um, and thank you Haim for getting rid of the piece of shit that is Matt Barnes off my favorite team in the world. And thank you for not training Tanner Houck. Um, I'd much rather have a broken Raul Montes or Raul Montes, kid than uh, than bringing in Kim who I love, but God, I love me some Tanner Houck. So thank you. Uh, thank you. Heim bloom for, for not getting with that because the pen made my my gray facial hair go grayer and our pen is now really fucking good. And I'm really excited because let Alex cook, right? Like Heimd had a good job. Boy, I wish Xander stayed like, man, that would have been great. It didn't happen. Good job with the Devers extension. Thank you. Let's let the Red Sox win. Thanks, Brandon. Ed, I love you. And like, I, I, I'm ready for baseball because I think this team can compete.
1: All right. With that being said, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time and sharing your thoughts to all of our listeners. Thank you for joining us for this, this year's Red Sox state of the nation debate. Uh, We hope that some of the things said tonight, will put to rest some of the nagging questions in your head that you've had about this team going forward and that you'll realize that the 2023 Boston Red Sox are going to be fun. We hope you'll join us next time. Good night.